Welcome to the second episode of the second season of the Make Marketing Easy podcast. I'm your host, Joel Gaslin. In this episode, you'll hear from Andy Wright. Andy is a senior regional business manager with Glaucos. Glaucos is a medical device company that created the microinvasive glaucoma surgery category in ophthalmology. What you'll learn in this episode is how a veteran medical device sales professional uses social media to help grow his business and add value for his customers at the same time. I hope you enjoy this show. I'm very grateful for Andy's willingness to share his insights on the Make Marketing Easy podcast. If you wish to stay connected with me, please visit makemarketingeasy.com. Put your email in the box in the upper right corner of the site, and you'll be notified when the next episode is available. Also, you'll get a free five-week checklist containing ideas to help you reduce anxiety by staying connected with your customers and prospects when you can't visit them. My guest today on the Make Marketing Easy podcast is Andy Wright from Glaucos. Andy, what insight caused you to start using social media as a medical device salesperson? Thanks for putting me on the call, Joel. Just quick feedback. We go in to surgery on what we call first starts with our surgeons when they're beginning their initial training and evaluation stage with the eye stent inject. And what I did, which I thought was unique, one or two other people kind of followed along and then it kind of became a epidemic. <laughs> Apropos term today. Yeah. <laughs> I just started using particularly LinkedIn and I, I viewed it as a way to get a little closer to celebrate with my doctors. Just about everybody's on LinkedIn now. You know, most of our doctors, our competitors, our referring surgeons, the optometric networks. And I just felt like it was a really neat avenue to get information quickly out, kind of celebrating the onset of trying this new technology. What I would do, which some people didn't want any part of it, but the vast majority were fine with it, I'd wait until the end of their first case, and then I'd ask them to pose for a picture with me and with their staff members, and then we would have that come out, and I would crop it down, make sure people weren't embarrassed and weren't you know, having a sour, you know, bitter beer face or something, and sometimes we'd take extra pictures. And then what I would do at the end of the day is I would put that up on LinkedIn, and I was very careful never to say congratulations to Dr. Smith on your first implant, just in case that patient or any of the next patients were looking at this and would then be judging him on the fact that it was his first time ever using it. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I would word things on there also very carefully because we received some direction from our company of do's and don'ts in social media, not making any product claims, et cetera, just being you know somewhat vague. And, and the way I worded most of them was, you know, a hearty shout out, congratulations to Dr. Smith today from Cedar Surgery Center in Homedale, Ohio. This is an exciting message going out to everybody, letting them know that Dr. Smith is using the eye stent inject, and I really appreciate the support and help from their fantastic staff as well. Congratulations. Short and sweet. Yeah. And what was the outcome that you sort of initially noticed when you started? It was actually really exciting. You know, I got a lot of messages immediately on LinkedIn from competitors, coworkers saying, what are you doing? This is crazy. How can you put that on there? And, you know, what I was challenged by one of my colleagues who will go unnamed and said, apparently I didn't know what I was doing and how I was using this. 
So my response back to him was, look, just to prove to you that there's a method to my madness, there's a couple things to consider here. The power of the social media, especially in this venue of LinkedIn, it's a professional version of, you know, watered down Facebook, for lack of a better term. I don't put things on Facebook. I don't put things on Instagram, just on LinkedIn. And I said to him, when I put this out there, I always follow up with my doctors. Most of them like to be followed up via text versus a, a you know a live call, et cetera. No one reads email anymore. So what I would do is take a screenshot of the picture that we took after the first case. I would send it to the doctor and say, 24 hours post-op, day one, look how many views you have. You have close to 400 views in 24 hours. Who are those 400 people? Question mark. Hmm, that's a good question. Then I'd say, Doc, do me a favor. Let me know how your patient looked. One day post-op, never really you know, the final resting spot, but it'll give you a good idea of your experience yesterday. And I really appreciate you taking the time to work with me. And I'd just like to get some feedback from you about your patient's outcome. Then at one week, I would call them and I'd take another screenshot. And by then, they'd be up to 2,500 views. There's a magic to it where some of these guys, I had about a hundred percent rate of them responding back to me, but then they would kind of get excited. Like 2,500 people actually viewed this. And I'd once again say, there are 2,500 people now wondering why you haven't scheduled the second eye. <laughs> All right. And how'd that go over? A little tongue in cheek, a little fun, a little poke, almost Every client responded back, yeah, I've, I found three more patients today in my clinic, and I'm going to schedule them soon, too. And and it, it really kind of lent itself. It was a soft sell. It was a celebration that I was sharing with them and congratulating them on adding a new vibrant technology to their practice and hopefully having continued success. And then I would go back to them live. Sometimes they'd call me and say, hey, I've got this patient with pigmentary glaucoma. Can we do this? And they'd start asking me all the questions. And often in those questions, we talked about the strength of the, the message that we put out on LinkedIn. That's great. So what effect do you think it had on sort of how they viewed you know, Andy Wright as a consultant to the practice? How do you think it affected that? I think it affected it pretty positively. I mean, there was never really a negative. I had several doctors say, oh, your competitor was in here laughing about how nice it is that you share all that information. And, you know, not to be overly cocky, but a lot of my responses back were, if they're good at their job, they should know where I am. This shouldn't come as a surprise. That's a good response. And, and you know, it's amazing to me is in, you know, the industry that you and I have both spent our careers in, ophthalmology, we're pretty lucky that the the physicians that we work with generally are pretty willing to share, you know, how they do what they do with their colleagues slash competitors because they believe that it's best for the patient. And 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 I think it's great when when salespeople say, look, hey, I'm I'm perfectly happy to share with you how I do what I do because I just think I can do it well and it's gonna it's gonna work for me. So when someone sort of makes statements like that, I sort of chuckle at that. Well Joel, as this thing got a little bit bigger, there was a, a couple of times in the last, you know, I've probably been doing this for two years now. I'd say I have, you know, close to maybe 70, 80 people up on that. But what was really neat is I had a couple of doctors that I was doing my first day in surgery with. And at the 
end or halfway through, they say, well, aren't we going to take a picture? I've seen all those pictures. In my <laughs> that's great. That's when you know you've, you've made it, right? When people are asking for it. So that's yeah. really cool. It's really interesting. You know, that, that it had, because one of the questions I would ask these guys live when I'd go and work with them again, I'd say, hey, look at all these, you know, views. And I'd keep on bringing that up and showing them the picture. And I would say things to them like, you know, now you've, there was one guy, he had over close to 4,000 it's like 3,700 views and something like 65 comments were made on it. And I said, a lot of the comments that are being made aren't towards me saying way to go, Andy, because people would occasionally do that. But I said, a lot of these comments are from your referring ODs and from guys that you were in residency with or gals that you went to med school with. People are celebrating now along with you. I said, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That's really cool. And at that same time, then we started seeing other ophthalmic companies with reps holding up boxes and doing the same thing. And it kind of caught on. It was it was kind of fun. But there's still some naysayers who discounted it. And I said, hey, you know, it worked for me. I, I never really felt there was a negative to doing it. As long as you made sure you follow what your company's guidelines were on, you know, using social media and didn't make any claims. And in respect to the doctors, not call it their first time using it because that could lead them to having to answer questions of patients that maybe they wouldn't be comfortable with. Right. Well, and it's interesting, that whole first thing, because you know a lot of people like to be first. And I was amazed when a certain new technology was put out there, how many different people said they were the first in a state to you know do that. And, and I'd say, who's the, who's the validating body of all that? And why does it really matter? It's kind of, kind of funny. Well, I won't go and name that, but you and I know exactly who that was. And it was interesting because I called a couple of reps from that company. One rep, and I won't give you her name. She and I, you know her. We've been friends for a long time. And she said, well, I'm just doing what you did. And I said, yeah, but you're congratulating the doctor for being the first person in a specific geographic location. And they were making claims about what the product's doing. They actually had like HIPAA issues where they, they took pictures with the patient. And I was like, man, you better run that by internally, like with your company. None of those things make that much sense. And if I'm one of those doctor's competitors and you come and see me and I've been supporting your product portfolio for decades, I'm going to be a little upset and ask, what made you decide to make my competitor the first one in this town? Yeah. Well, that, that's all That's all good advice and, and it's all true. And, and so just to sort of back up for the listeners that a little bit of Andy's and my history, Andy back in July of 1992, was my first sales trainer as I got into the surgical part of ophthalmology at Ned Storrs Instrument Company. And, and I remember flying to Cincinnati and spending a, a week with Andy and just being amazed at the relationships you had with your customers and the way you could sort of go in and out of offices and surgery centers. And so I'm grateful for what I learned there. And, and, it, and luckily, it worked out well for me. And, and you've done really well. And, and I think with sort of what's happening in the world right now, it's going to be different. So how do you think it'll impact you and how you do your everyday work now with sort of the, what's happening in the world with COVID and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, a lot of unknowns there. You know, you and I have a long history that's we've been blessed and had great careers. There's a lot of unknowns with the current situation. You know, are we going to be able to have the same level of freedom in and out of uh, operating rooms? All the pressures that sales reps have faced in the last several years with vendor credentialing, you know, VendorMate, RepTrack, Simpler, et cetera. I can only imagine that's going to become even more 
of a stumbling block for the vast majority of us going into places. Freestanding surgery centers maybe be a little bit more flexible with that. If you're covering a territory that's predominantly HOPD, you know, main hospital settings, you may have a lot of challenges going forward. So we're going to, we're hopefully sooner than later, we're all going to get a peek at what our future looks like, but I think it's certain to have changed. I agree. And, I, and that's where I think it's really important, sort of the, what you were a, a leader in doing for med device folks of finding different ways to sort of bring value to the, the doctor and the practice so that you can be a trusted advisor rather than just another person sort of peddling a product or service. So I, I really, I congratulate you on that. It's really, it's really cool. So what's next for you? Sitting around waiting for another two Zoom calls today. Had one at 10. Got one coming up at two and another at the end of the day. And that seems to be the new communication. Been having fun with that too. Where do you think that'll fit into being able to communicate and have meetings with surgeons going forward? You know, we, we were talking a lot about that. And on our calls, we're kind of all, you know, it's new to everybody too. We're kind of exploring how that's going to benefit us. I think it's great. I mean, you've, you've seen some of them already, I'm sure, where you have 10 physicians getting on there and they're inviting other people to, to jump in and listen in and be part of that. It's interesting where that where that goes. I'm thinking that it's going to be harder to gain access to the surgical suites with my doctors at hospitals versus surgery centers. And I'm my territory is probably more heavily weighted towards ambulatory surgery centers. So I'm hoping I have an easier kind of re-entry into the OR. But I can also imagine that there are going to be some people from a credentialing perspective where they're going to want to take the temperature of every rep walking in. There's going to be new requirements, new protocols. But once you get in, there may even be, I mean, almost every place that you and I go into surgery has some sort of monitor system where you can watch the case up on a you know TV on the wall. And we've been talking about how do we access that medium and have some doctors who are a little less likely to let you in the room say, can we pipe that out into an empty room down the hallway and maybe FaceTime or have an earbud and I can kind of coach you on things that I'm witnessing during each procedure that maybe gives me the same ability to coach you with a new product without standing right next to you looking through the observer scope. Hmm. That's interesting. I spend more time, Andy, now in marketing you now than I do in, in actually you know, out in the field selling and have, frankly, for quite some time. And, and so when I think about this, I'd be grateful for your advice as a marketing person who puts together sort of content and things to help reps get in front of people and tell the story and and help a prospect go from being curious to enlightened to making a commitment. How do you think we should view content creation and what tools do you think salespeople will need as you think about having to do Zoom calls and sort of stuff like that? How should we be thinking about trying to make it better for salespeople? Well, it's just, it's a great question, Joel. I, I don't know if I have all the answers for that, but the changes in the lanes, you know, I've noticed we call them lunch and learns over the years, just, you know, opportunities to get in front of staff and coach them a little bit about ways they can help their doctors, you know, internally mine their practices for patients or help better educate, you know, optometrists and referral networks. Those things I think are only going to just get more expanded. And the Zoom tool, any any of those type of new fad technologies, for lack of a, a better description. If you can make it fun, 
if you can make it less of a parental type teaching situation and more interactive, I think we've got the tools now to to do that. And I would imagine more of my time is probably going to be spent doing dry labs and doing lunch staff trainings. And doing them remotely. And you can do them remotely. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of big changes. We're going to kind of, like we all do, go out there and see how many places we get told we're not allowed into and then try to come up with strategies to get around that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been doing that really well for a long time, so I imagine you're going to keep doing that. So that's good. Sign language from the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's hard to know. All right. Well, anything, I'm grateful for your time and anything that I haven't asked you about that perhaps you'd like to talk about on the program before we sign off? No, I'm all set. But Joel, thanks for having me and uh, appreciate you taking the time too. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for listening to the Make Marketing Easy podcast. My goal is to help you think of learning about marketing as a way for you to achieve the results you imagine in your territory and also use those skills to add value to your customers' businesses. If you want to learn more ways to make marketing easy, Go to MakeMarketingEasy.com and download my free five-week checklist containing ideas to help you reduce anxiety by staying connected with your customers and prospects when you can't visit them. Until next time, thanks again. I'm grateful that you took the time to listen.